0: Do you know something? What? I love telling tales and talking about mythology, but there's a lot of work in it. I feel like treating myself.
1: How do you feel about cocktails?
0: What are you talking about? Sure, we can't go anywhere.
1: Well, we don't have to because Telltale will deliver it to our front
0: door. What's Telltale when it's at home?
1: Well, it's an online service that delivers premixed drinks to your door and even better, the cocktails are inspired by global mythology and they come accompanied by an illustrated retelling of the related story.
0: Sounds class. I see, I see here the current series is inspired by a Japanese tale of vengeance called Kachi Kachiyama.
1: That's right. And you can order right now from www.telt-tail.co.uk That's tailcouk wwwtell l.co.uk. And listeners of the Irish Mythology podcast can get a 10% discount if they use the code VOLTA10 at the checkout at www. Tell-tail.co.uk and Fall to Ten is spelled F-A-I-L-T-E 10.
0: Hello again and welcome to a very special St. Patrick's Day episode of the Irish Mythology Podcast. I'm Marcus O'Hishkin.
1: And I'm Stephanie Nehirney.
0: Well, it's been a year.
1: It has. Um, Our very first episode actually was the St. Patrick's Day one last year.
0: And when we were setting out on this journey, planning the show in the months before, I don't think that many people could have predicted the kind of year that we all had, with there being a global pandemic and everything. But it's been absolutely great to be able to do this podcast throughout it all.
1: Yeah, I think it's been a very challenging year for everyone with lockdowns and the changes in the way we even interact with other people. And it's You know, the podcast has been a little bit of light in the darkness for us anyway. And it's been really, really lovely to receive really nice messages of support on social media and from Patreon, from listeners. And we really hope that we've given you something to smile about from time to time.
0: Yeah, we we had great plans to be out on the road visiting the places associated with the stories we've covered. But um, hopefully that time will come sooner rather than later. And I'd I'd really love not to be talking about this, but it would be hard to do an episode on St. Patrick and St. Patrick's Day without mentioning the fact that for a second year in a row, we won't have the usual events and activities that we'd associate with this time of year.
1: It's mad, Ted, isn't it? Yeah, no parades, no pubs, no mass, if that's, your, if that's your buzz. But I'm sure you'll all mark the occasion in some way and sure if you're listening to this episode, you kind of are in a way. And if you haven't listened to last year's St. Patrick's Day episode, you might give that a go after this as we cover uh, some very different topics to the ones that we'll talk about today.
0: Yeah, and that one we talked about some of the common myths about Patrick, you know, the snakes and the shamrocks and some stories where he was engaged in what you could only describe as sorcery or magic. Now today's story comes of Patrick from a slightly different angle, though he's still weaving spells and invoking otherworldly powers.
1: It is a bit different, all right. Now we're used to stories of Patrick preaching to the people of Ireland, engaged in spirited debate with the native pagan priesthood and kings, poets, and the like, and sometimes overseeing miracles. But today we see him at his most confrontational and doing a bit of smiting, to use the biblical terminology.
0: Yeah, this is a story about Patrick confronting a pagan deity in the form of a stone idol, and it's an odd one because in other works he converts through words and deeds. But this deity is resisting the forward march of Christianity. It doesn't actually appear in Patrick's own writings, but in later biographical works written centuries after his death.
1: It appears in Vita Tripartita Sancti Patrici, Patrici, I can't believe I can't pronounce that. Anyway, uh, or the, do you know what? We actually know a Latin teacher Do we could have. Yeah, it doesn't, Andrew... Macquarie, who teaches a book on Ediskel, he, he teaches he do Latin.
0: Latin as well. Oh He's oh a good God. moon tour. Sure, I might, I might, um.
1: Shout out to Andrew if you're listening. Mm. <laughs> um, but anyway, uh, the Tripartite Life of St. Patrick, a 9th century manuscript written partially in Latin and partially in Irish. And it also appears in Jocelyn of Furness's Life of St. Patrick, which was probably written in the early 13th century and is referenced in the Metrical Dinshengus in the poem on Maslecht, And we drew from all three for today's retelling.
0: We'll go into a bit more detail on those sources later on, as well as a few other things we threw in, such as biblical verses and a prayer or hymn associated with Patrick. And we'll also talk about Christianity's fairly mixed response to the old pagan religions, and of course, the deity that Patrick confronts, who is most commonly known as Crom Cruach. He is still a bit of a mystery himself. But for now, here's Steffi narrating St. Patrick and Crom Cruach.
1: The missionary steps off the rowing boat onto the land of Breffny in the dwindling light of evening. Stern of face, covered in a flowing white robe, he carries only a tall crozier and a small brown satchel whose strap is draped over his shoulder. Patrick the Roman, Patrick the Briton, Patrick of Armagh. Like the old gods of this land, he had acquired many names. And like the greatest among those gods, his achievements are many. He has converted the rulers of three-fifths of this land to his faith, more than any of those who came before had achieved. But there are those who cling to the old ways. He has been received at Kruakon and Arma, and his words were enough to seduce their kings. They gave him land to build his shrines. They stood aside as he used the wells given by the gods of the land to initiate multitudes in the cult of Christ. Patrick, despite these conquests, is not satisfied. His visions, sent from God when he was but a slave tending to flocks of sheep in the hills of this land, predicted that all of this heathen island would fall at his feet. A lot done, more to do, thinks Patrick, as the end of his crozier squelches upon impact with the sodden ground. Blood soaked, he surmises and he hears the voice, the one he heard as he prayed amongst the sheep. I am the Lord, thy God, who brought thee out of the house of bondage. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Thou shalt not make unto thee a graven image, nor any manner of likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth thou shalt not bow down unto them nor serve them for i the lord thy god am a jealous god visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and upon the third and upon the fourth generation of them that hate me and showing mercy unto the thousandth generation of them that love me and keep my commandments. Yet here, thinks Patrick, the people refuse to listen to the word of God. They have many gods. They make many graven images and bow down before them. If they will not submit, they will be destroyed. For God's mercy cannot be shown to those who do not submit to his will. As day becomes twilight, He crosses the plain where these people, these savages, he thinks, prostrate themselves before their idols. A mist descends and quickly becomes thick fog, unlike any he has encountered. It is so thick that his crozier is barely visible in front of him and it is tinged with a green hue. For the first time on his mission here in Ireland, Patrick feels alone. He feels fear but the memory of his visions and the voice of god and his life's purpose spur him on and he goes deeper into the fog the hue of the fog changes from green to yellow then ahead he sees a golden light shining through the gloom my lord he calls out guide me Perhaps this is the light that Paul saw on the road to Damascus, the light that rendered him blind. The further he reaches towards it, the more sure of it he is, and that it is only the fog of evil about this place that is sparing his sight. He calls out again, Lord, restore my soul, lead me in the paths of righteousness for your name's sake. Then he hears the voice of God but it is not his God. Invader, begone! Your God has no place on this soil. His power wanes without the light of day and I grow stronger. Walk away now and I will show mercy, but continue on this path and I will dispatch you, your foul aim and the fiend who would rule in my place. Patrick is not deterred. He marches forward until he reaches the place from where the golden light shines and steps out of the fog. It is not that the fog has lifted. It is still there, thick as before. It surrounds him. forms a circle around a small hill upon which stands another circle. At first he thinks the twelve idols that form the circle must be made of gold. But as he gets closer, he sees they are stone and that it is the thirteenth, the one in the middle, that the light pours forth from. Though there is no wind, when he approaches the circle he meets resistance, and it is as if he is walking up a mountain against the force of a gale, but he perseveres. As he struggles against this invisible force, he calls out defiantly, I bind to myself today the power of God to guide me, The might of God to uphold me, the wisdom of God to teach me, the eye of God to watch over me, the ear of God to hear me, the word of God to give me speech, the hand of God to protect me, the way of God to prevent me, the shield of God to shelter me, the host of God to defend me against the snares of demons, against the temptations of vices, against the lusts of nature, without warning. The force changes direction and Patrick finds himself inside the stone circle, facing the idol of the golden light. Patrick, Roman, you were warned not to come. But you did not listen and now my land will devour you. Patrick waves his crozier at the idol and shouts back, I will not bow before your tyranny, crooked one. My tyranny, the idol retorts. It is not I who seeks to control the minds of the people, nor I who promotes a monolithic line of thought that can tolerate no other. It is not I who separates human from nature, nor claims the most basic human desires are evil and forbids them. You devil, Patrick shouts. They make sacrifices to you. They soak the soil at your feet with blood. The idol laughs. I gladly receive the sacrifices of my people, but your God... Does he not demand sacrifice did he not say to moses you shall bring the bull before the tent of meeting and aaron and his sons shall lay their hands on the head of the bull you shall slaughter the bull before the lord at the doorway of the tent of meeting patrick's face contorts with rage and he replies you demand human sacrifice i demand no such thing the idol replies They gladly give themselves to replenish the earth and I revel in their joy. Your God demanded Abraham sacrifice his own son to test his loyalty. Then sent an angel to stop the sacrifice, Patrick replies. He sacrificed his own son, the idol retorts. To save us from our sins, replies Patrick. The idol laughs again. Patrick turns away from the idol and goes towards the circle of stones. Perhaps sensing his intentions, the outer idols awaken. Eyes open on each one, shining bright light at the Christian. He reaches out his crozier in an attempt to attack one of the stones, but an invisible force pushes him away and he lands on his back on the wet ground. The deafening roars of laughter from the circle of idols enrages Patrick. He drives the end of his crozier in the ground and uses it as leverage to pick himself up. He holds on to the crozier for dear life, as the invisible force pushes against him from all sides, and defiantly he chants. As for the heads of those that encircle me, let the mischief of their own lips cover them. Let burning coals fall upon them, let them be cast into the fire, into deep pits that they rise not up again. Patrick lifts his crozier and plunges it back into the ground, this time with such force that the earth shakes. Fissures appear where the circle stands, cracks open, and the idols sink into the soil until only the tops of their heads are visible. He turns back to the chief idol. This one is more powerful than the others. It struggles against his Christian magic. It defies his god. "'You fool, Patrick!' the idol screams." You can bury us today, but you will never destroy us. We will live on in the words of the poets, in the songs of the people, in the tales told to children, and in the nightmares of the pious followers of your jealous God. Your God may rule here for a time. He may sever the bonds between the people and the earth, and he may make them fear every source of pleasure and joy, but we will return. When the snow falls in spring and the sun scorches the fairest plain we will rise from beneath the soil and reclaim our place, for that is when the people will need us most. Patrick reaches into his satchel, takes out a lump hammer and runs at the idol, righteous indignation written on his face, robes blowing out about his frame and he swings. He swings the hammer at the face of the idol again and again and again and again until the head lies in pieces around its base and it speaks no more. The fog around the circle suddenly lifts and Patrick kneels and gives praise to the sky.
0: Well now, Patrick got a bit aggro there, didn't he?
1: He was a bit aggro, all right. Uh, yep, didn't like being challenged at all, but we don't know what else was going on in his life at the time. You know, he might have been having a really bad week. Lost a few quid on the uh, the old chariot races, maybe. <laughs> maybe. Maybe someone said something a bit mean about his dress sense. Who oh. knows?
0: Yeah, maybe the, the boss was on his back. Just opened a letter from the Pope that was all, why aren't they all converted? When are you going to convert them? Why aren't you converting them now?
1: Should have been in a union, that's what I say. Anyway, uh, well, whatever the reason, we mentioned that this story was a bit unusual and that it doesn't appear in Patrick's own writing. The earliest source for the complete story is the 9th century work, The Tripartite Life of Patrick. It's in Latin and Irish and is in three parts, intended to be read aloud over the three days of St. Patrick's
0: Festival. The Tripartite Life, along with Jocelyn of Furness's later Life of Patrick, gave us the broad outline of today's retelling. Jocelyn was a monk at Furness Abbey, situated where the town of Barrow and Furness, Cumbria, in northwest England is today. And there is actually a strong Irish connection with that area, um, as there were many monasteries set up there by Irish monks in the centuries after Patrick's life.
1: Jocelyn himself was a renowned hagiographer, which is a biographer of saints. He also wrote accounts of the lives of St Kentigern, St. Waltheuf, and uh, who else? St. Helena. Now we'll come back to the Dinshenkas passage that references this story later on, as there is a lot more to do with Cruach in there. But this is where Patrick taking the hammer to the idol comes from, and the other stories have him winning with magic
0: alone. So there are the broad strokes, and into that mix we threw a couple of biblical verses. The first one that starts, I am the Lord thy God, will probably be familiar. It's from the Ten Commandments. Though when you were learning uh, the Ten Commandments in school, they used to leave out the bit about him being a jealous God. But that is actually straight out of the book of Exodus. And it's also in Deuteronomy.
1: I was really hoping we'd get more time to go into the the house of bondage that was mentioned (laughs) just out of curiosity you know but anyway uh, the the line the Lord restore my soul one is from Psalm 23 in the book of Psalms another famous one which you'll probably know better by its opening line the Lord is my shepherd I shall not want the spell Patrick chants that buries the 12 idols is also actually from the book of Psalms Psalm 140 to be precise which we've mentioned on the show before and then there's another passage shortly before that that sounds a bit like it's from Psalms as well but it's actually from an old Irish prayer or a protection spell if you like called St Patrick's Breastplate.
0: It comes from the Liber Hymnorum uh, which is an 11th century book of hymns and prayers and though there is no musical notation provided it was said that Patrick sang it to protect himself against attack by soldiers loyal to Logra and MacNeill king of Tara and son of Nile of the Nine hostages. The tripartite life lists Logra as one of one of the worshippers of Crown Then we just added some bits of scenic description and dialogue, which is where the artistic license comes in.
1: So Logra McNeil is mentioned in several biographies of Patrick as an intransigent pagan foe of the saint who makes many attempts on his life. And one of these sources, uh, Murphy's 7th century work, claims that Logra eventually converts to Christianity, but the others, uh, namely uh, Tirachans, also from the 7th century, and the aforementioned tripartite life, maintain that he remained a pagan until the day he died.
0: Parts of the story are well known, such as the part where Patrick lights a bonfire on the hill of Slane, which is known as the Paschal Fire.
1: Fire. Uh, (laughs) Sorry.
0: This was an act of defiance against Logra, who had decreed that the only fire lit for the spring equinox would be the one at the Festival of Tara. Now, Logra isn't happy about this at all, but he summons Patrick to Tara. And in fairness, you can't fault the king's hospitality. Patrick gets a seat at the table for the big feast because, dislike him as he may, he wouldn't have Patrick saying that he wasn't offered a bit of grub after him calling him there and all.
1: No, uh, it wouldn't be an episode of the Irish Mythology podcast without a very subtle reminder that you should always uh, offer your guests something in the love. And actually... Just want to say a shout out to one of our followers on Twitter or someone who listens to this podcast who I can't remember. The handle is night librarian, maybe who tweeted an image of some very nice looking cookie type things. Um, I think somewhat inspired by our propensity for constantly saying that you need to give your guests biscuits if they arrive to your house. But anyway, yeah,
0: they actually did. They looked delicious.
1: They did, I'd, I'd definitely take some of them, in my love uh, <laughs> One or two, you know, probably two Sure, a bird never flew on one wing, isn't that what they say? <laughs> but anyway, uh, during the feast, uh, Logra's son, Lugud collapses and seems to have stopped breathing And Patrick comes along and saves him, but not through a miracle But by reaching into the boy's mouth and pulling out an unchewed piece of meat that was lodged in his throat Not even the Heimlich Heimlich remover, I was going to say the Heimlich manoeuvre, never mind a miracle. And then he goes and credits the the Archangel Michael for this.
0: Now, after this, Logra either converts or doesn't, depending on the source. But either way, he leaves Patrick more or less alone. Now, a version in on Lower Brack which was compiled in the 15th century, claims that despite this, Patrick cursed Logra and all his descendants so that none of them would ever be kings of Tara, which I think was a bit of a dick move. But, <laughs> you know, he's having there and him go about his business. Anyway, Logra's son, Lugad, uh, does become king, but maybe Patrick gave him a pass, as after this, Logra's descendants do fall into relative insignificance and are subject to the two other major lines of descent from Nile of the Nine Hostages that we mentioned in the last episode, the Sheil Edo Slania of Brega and later on the Clan Coleman of Mead. And interestingly, the Kennel Lógere's lands were those between the River Boyne and the River Blackwater, that's the Mead Blackwater, so basically Navan. So maybe that's why I wouldn't be Patrick's biggest fan, it's another ancient grudge of mine. Do you
1: know, he must have had fierce, tiny hands reaching in. I was just thinking.
0: Yeah.
1: I remember in secondary school, there was one of, you know, those m- machines that you see in train stations where you can get crisps. And there was always like someone with a small hand that tried to put their hand in, you know, <laughs> under the, to get the, get the crisps or buy I the, the chocolate. boy for that. Yeah But actually as it happened then Someone else Who we knew in school I think their dad Had a job I probably, Maybe I shouldn't say Ash or feckin', It's a hundred years ago now <laughs> And their dad Had a job Like refilling those machines And they had some kind of Skeleton key for it So every so often they go and open it <laughs> <laughs> And you know, it was milky bars all around. But anyway, uh, Crom Crúach, and might select the actual topic of this, don't have my school memories. Um, the reason we mentioned Logra is that, uh, is, is that the, the mention in the tripartite life of him worshipping Crom Crúach, sort of. In that account of Patrick's exploits, the god is called Ken Crúach, the, the modern Irish for Cian or Head. Well, in Jocelyn's account, he is called Ken uh, Cruhi. And it is only because it is mentioned in the Dinshenkis under the name Kromkrug that we know with a great degree of certainty that it is actually the same figure.
0: As we mentioned earlier, Kromkrug is a bit of a mystery. He he only appears in this story and the story that makes up the bulk of the Dinshenkis poem about Max Slecht. And he's never mentioned once in all of the stories about the two-a-day. Now, Mark Williams, in his book Ireland's Immortals, A History of the Gods of Irish Myth, claims that there never was a god called Crom or Ken Cruach, mainly because of the lack of textual evidence and because of his demonic portrayal in the sources that he does appear. He says that the story didn't use any of the actual gods because they were still known as mythological characters and the Christian writers didn't want to draw attention to their divinity.
1: Now, Mark Williams' theory could well be correct, but there are other possibilities. Crom Cruach could have been an exceptionally local divinity, or the name could have been one of uh, many for one of the other gods, like the Dagda or Alu. Uh He could have also been a pre-Celtic god who was later supplanted by the Dagda or Lu, and this story might be an echo of how that happened. Either way, his name has sort of lived on in folklore. You have Crom Cromdú or Du Sunday as the name given in some parts to a festival on the first Sunday in August.
0: Yeah, I'm not sure at all. There's three supposed gods that Mark Williams holds uh, are later inventions. and They're Danu, Bell and Croncrook. And I wholeheartedly agree when it comes to Danu and Bell. Danu, he, re- he reckons, was invented to explain the collective name for the gods, the Tuatha De Danann. Which was itself a medieval invention. And you'll actually like this. One of the reasons why that doesn't make sense is because Danan is not the Tishul of <laughs> Danu. And that's why I think that's one of the, the reasons he gives in the book. Um, uh, gas. And, and Bel was derived from the festival of Bealtaine and linked to the god Baal of pre Jewish Semitic polytheism. But Crom can't really be explained away by linguistic error the way the other two can. And while there's precious little in the way of textual evidence for Crom, other than the sources we've mentioned, there was a Bronze Age stone circle at Maxlect in modern day, which is in modern day County Cavan. And there was a broken stone found nearby that could well have sat at its centre.
1: Yeah, this is the Killy Kluggen stone that you can see in the Cavan County Museum today at Bally James Duff. And we went over there a while back. I mean, it's more than a while back now, sure. It was when you could still, when it was still legal to go to places. Um, anyway, I went in because Marcus had to wait outside because we had the dogs with us. And museums in Ireland, unlike the ones that are very civilised we went to in Cornwall a few years ago, um, they're not dog friendly, unfortunately. So if, you're, if you run a museum, like more dog friendly museums, please, Ireland. Or at least let like greyhounds in, you know, very they're well, very, very, very well, well behaved. behaved. They just walk around. Yeah. They stand kind of, they Snip, might have suspense. a sniff of something, you know. Far better behaved than any of the kids you see in there. But anyway, <laughs> that's neither hither nor dither. Um, the stone itself, this is the Killy Cluggan stone, is in pretty bad nick. And it was found broken into several pieces, possibly by St. Patrick's Hammer. Uh, But it was probably about six foot high and it's covered in Iron Age style designs. Interestingly, there is a St. Patrick's well nearby, as well as a church said to have been founded by Patrick at Kilnivert.
0: The evidence is all pointing towards him, isn't it?
1: Damning. Be a very, very short episode of CSI Kiligluggan,
0: anyway. (laughs) As for his depiction in the works he is mentioned in, it is sort of demonic, um, at least in the Dinschenkas. But in the patrician works he is mentioned in, we really only see Patrick getting angry and submerging the idols in the earth. He doesn't really get to defend himself and we give him that opportunity in the story today. Now, Dinschenkis says that people sacrificed their firstborn to him. There's no... Wouldn't
1: have been good for either of us no. anyway, go on.
0: There, there's, there's no That's true. <laughs> There's no archaeological evidence at all now for child sacrifice in Ireland. But there are a couple of potential examples of human sacrifice and Findwire has done a six part series on the Irish history podcast entitled The, Old, the Road to Old Crone uh, about, is that how you pronounce that? Old Crohn. Old Crohan. About a, bod, a bog body that is likely the remains of such an act. And you really should check that out because it is very interesting. It
1: is really interesting. I didn't know much about that bog body before I listened to it and... I think I I listened to the like the whole the six episodes in one go and uh, yeah but definitely binge that podcast it's really good um but anyway the first stanza of the Denshanks poem certainly paints a dark picture uh, and that goes. Here used to stand a lofty idol that saw many a fight, whose name was the Cruach. It caused every tribe to live without peace. Alas for its secret power, the valiant Gadel used to worship it. Not without tribute did they ask of it to satisfy them with their share in the hard world. He was their god. The wizened crumb, hidden by many mists, as for the folk that believed in him, the eternal kingdom beyond every heaven shall not be theirs. For him, ingloriously, they slew their hapless firstborn, with much wailing and peril, to pour their blood round Crom uh, but it's interesting, despite the hatchet job the author did on Crum, they don't say that Crum demanded sacrifice and it's worth taking a moment to separate the acts of humans done in the name of God from the actual meaning behind that God, be they sort of ancient pagan divinities or Jehovah, Jesus or, or anyone else you're having really.
0: Yeah, throughout history, people have carried out a lot of heinous acts and excused them by calling them the will of God. Though to reiterate, there's no evidence that Anyone ever did sacrifice a child to Crom crook
1: Very defensive by Crom I, I you know. Well, you know.
0: <laughs> anyway, go on. It's it's, it's it's kind of like one of those. Two, it kind of reads to me like one of those, you know, Freddie Starr ate my hamster type tabloid tales. do You know, is that a tabloid tale? Oh yeah, it was. A, was it Freddy Starr? I think it was. Yeah, it was on the front page. It a famous front page of the Sun from the eighties. Sure, listen, I was still in the pram Ah, yeah, but sure. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Go on. I wasn't reading. And I certainly wouldn't have been reading the sun. (laughs) Don't buy the sun, folks. (laughs) Like, Jesus.
0: Anyway, the the portrayal seems to be a straight Christian importation from the ancient Canaanite god Moloch, who, according to Carthaginian accounts, was offered child sacrifices by his worshippers. That could have been made up as well by the Carthaginians, who knows? The other mystery around... Notorious
1: fibbers. Yeah.
0: (laughs) The other other mystery around Crom is that generally when Christianity moved into a region very like the Roman Empire before them, they didn't just try to obliterate the native beliefs. Instead, in many cases, they appropriated them. We talked a bit about this in our episode last month on St. Brigid how some aspects of the goddess Brigid were incorporated into the story of the later saint of the same name.
1: Yeah, they also built their first shrines in very sacred pagan places and incorporated sacred wells into their baptism rites. In fact, in another story regarding Patrick that comes from the Agalibhna uh, Shanorch, the Tales of the Elders of Ireland, Patrick meets Kylte, one of the two surviving members of the Fianna, and that's the, the warrior band that was led by Fionn McCool. And rather than being a very confrontational encounter, Caelte regales a, de- a very delighted Patrick with stories of the Fianna, and Kylte listens as Patrick talks about his god and even shows Patrick where there is a well that he can use for baptisms. Very generous.
0: (laughs) Anyway, there's there's actually a great example of Christians using this approach across the water in the book you actually got me on, East Anglian Magic. um, Some of the earliest churches in East Anglia had both Christian and pagan shrines. So you and your mates could go and worship in the same places regardless of your beliefs or I suppose you could mix and match if you felt like it but anyway later on churches in East Anglia had carved figures that could be used as either a depiction of Saint Olaf who held an axe or alternatively Thor with his hammer
1: isn't that handy yeah something for everyone we are running out of time but before we go and think about how we might mark Saint Patrick's Day this year when most of our old, you know, our usual customs can't actually be observed. um, I suppose you could have a parade in your garden or something. I don't know. Just <laughs> depending on how many people there are in your house. Get your dog out of bed here. Put this costume on. <laughs> um, We do want to mention some customs of old. And maybe it'll give you a few ideas for the coming days. And this one is from the National Folklore Collection on Ducas.ie. And I'll read this part. "'Tis well I remember when I was a little girl going to Kilmurray School. All the little girls used to wear crosses on St. Patrick's Day to honour St. Patrick. I used to make a beautiful cross for that day. The first thing I got was two pieces of stiff cardboard, one piece longer than the other, and then covered those pieces with some nice pieces of silk, and I sewed them together in the shape of a cross." For about a month before St. Patrick's Day, I used to be gathering the nicest bits of silk or satin I could find to cut them into narrow strips to make nice, neat, little fluffy little bundles of them. I then sewed one bundle on each of the four ends and one on the centre of the cross. Then my cross was complete and ready to wear on my left arm on St. Patrick's Day and for a whole week after going to school. There wasn't any mass on any little girl that had not a cross for St. Patrick's Day. Now ye are all too smart to wear crosses on St Patrick's day tisn't like your poor old mother nothing for you now but smart badges and harps which you buy dear in the shops and i the one thing i love about this story is that i just love how Livia soprano gets towards the end where she's just like now you know it wasn't like that in my day well, if Livia <laughs> Soprano was from the country in Ireland somewhere. From Kerry. From Kerry, yeah. Yeah,
0: because this, this is from a Mrs. J.D. Reardon of Barnet in County Kerry. And the collector's name isn't given, but it's from the school's collection. So you might assume it was her oh, child at, or one.
1: Yeah, no, just actually a note, because it says there wasn't any mass on any little girl, like just to, for early li- listeners who aren't familiar with the Irish language. So mass is like, uh, well, mass is the Irish word for respect, but like, it's like there was nothing, not much thought of any little girl <laughs> who didn't have their cross on for yeah, Saint Patrick's he's... Day. Basically, you know, there's a lot of judgment in here. Like
0: yeah, I yeah. was kind of
1: half expecting her to go, "I wish the Lord would take me now."
0: <laughs> People were probably anyway. having nightmares about uh, forgetting their cross.
1: Yeah, pro- maybe.
0: But I know I was nightmare. just going to say that the the child then after that. Um, guilt trip probably was like <laughs> scrambling around to find the bits and pieces to make uh, make the cross
1: desperately fought, looking up bits of satin <laughs> and silk and things you know yeah. but anyway
0: of course don't forget that in ireland at least you're allowed to break lent for the day that's in it yep yeah and this, this is one from the schools collection um every year on saint patrick's day the irish people are given a good deal of liberty only in st patrick's day st patrick's day falls on the 17th of march and during the season of lent all fastings are removed and dance halls are opened (laughs) there are national games being played on that day such as football tennis hurling and lots of other games and you know i have very fond memories of being no age at all and watching the parade in navan with a lent breaking packet of skittles in my hand and that's just a really happy memory i have
1: that's really nice. Yeah. We were absolute heathens in my house. So there was no such thing as Lent at all. Mm. now. there wouldn't have been any of that. Sure would have been. Yeah, no, none of that does. Like, but, uh, but um, yeah, fierce competition altogether for the day between seeing who could make the best cross and uh, I suppose who'd be wearing the most glam clothes at the dance halls, not to mention the sport. But even, you know, for those whom, for whom Mass was the main event, Um, They were also engaged in a bit of one-upmanship as Biddy Colleen of Clare Morris County Mayo reports in the school's collection. All the people used to go to Ballyhonas for Mass on St. Patrick's Day. They used to go to St. Augustine's Church now occupied by the friars. You were nowhere if you did not go to Ballyhonas that day. (laughs) (laughs) You were nowhere. Nowhere at all. I do love though in the the, uh, I I thought the whole thing about breaking Lent for St. Patrick's Day was sort of quite Recent invention But when I was going Through the stories In think If you search For St. Patrick's Day You will see Lots and lots Of references To people saying Well it's during Lent But like It's absolutely Perfectly fine To break your Lenten fast And to go for a dance And to You know Do whatever you're doing Have a bit of crack Like it's okay to laugh And have crisps essentially yeah. <laughs> during and then there's like you know there's other things where they talk about people scrapping and drinking and, and out collecting money that seems to be a recurring thing as well and i didn't actually have time to and i might go back to it at some stage but there is a lot of like you know because saint bridget's day there was this thing about going knocking around houses and collecting money off your neighbors and it was done at sound as well and there's a couple of stories about saint patrick's day where this is done so i mean i think high days and holidays it seemed to be the case that you could just knock into your neighbors and say here listen have you a for cans well no they weren't asking for cans but like do you know what I mean it was yeah. that seems to be a thing anyway look sure we'll crack on
0: there, there, was, there, was, there was a few stories about settling of accounts as well in, on St. Patrick's yeah, Day yeah between um, rival football factions and things like that
1: yeah that's yeah the, if there was parishes uh, yeah if there had been a dispute over game or if there had been a draw or something then they would do that on, on St. Patrick's Day
0: Great crack altogether anyway can, that- we,
1: can we just a uh, note that uh, it's St. Patrick's Day not St. Patty's Day just for anyone who says that out there <laughs> Patty is the mop from The Simpsons <laughs> that's all I have to say in the matter
0: or, or at, the, at, the, at the push Paddy's Day Paddy's Day.
1: Yeah. I would be stunned if I didn't vent about that at length in last year's St. Patrick's Day episode. So
0: yeah. Yeah. Go go hear the rant there.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> anyway, that is all we have time for today. But if you've been enjoying the show so far, you might consider becoming a patron. The Irish Mythology Podcast will always be free to listen to on the usual podcast platforms, but it is not free to make. Your financial support can help us make keep making it and continue to invest in things like additional recording equipment, books for research, and down the line, the big one, paying actors and crew to make full (laughs) cast productions of the sagas you love. And we're going to get there someday. Anyway, there's a range of benefits at different price tiers, and from just €3 a month, you can get early access to each episode, story scripts, and enhanced show notes. Um, While from €5 a month, you will get access to the occasional bonus episodes and hopefully we have one coming very very soon
1: make it sound better Mark (laughs) it's great pay us money
0: yeah anyway yeah go and have a look there it's patreon.com forward slash Irish Mythology Podcast
1: and look at if you don't have any money that's grand that's absolutely fine just share the episode and give us a five star rating give us a five star rating um, or even a
0: little review A little yeah.
1: review saying we're great Is always good I don't know like text the episode Say I listened to this great episode On St. Patrick's Day to your grandda or whatever Like you know they'll love it um, You can find us on Twitter At Irish Mythology P On Facebook at Irish Mythology Podcast On Instagram at Irish Mythology And online at Irish Mythology Podcast dot IE And remember If you've given up crisps and cans For Lent St. Patrick's Day doesn't count go and enjoy yourself bonnegie Sultos, Sólthás we'll see you again
0: Slán Happy Paddy's Day Slán
1: live agus you you've Slán
0: You have been listening to the Irish Mythology Podcast written presented and produced by Marcus O'Hishkeen and Stephanie Hearney. Theme music by Damiano Baldoni, Celtic Warrior, on an attribution license.